This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Welcome to, to at Tim G three eleven episode two twenty three. My name is Tim, and joining me as always is Dane. What's up, Dane? And it's, we had our celebratory episode two twenty two last one, but I guess we're just back to random number episodes with two twenty three. Nothing. <laughs> I couldn't find any tie-ins to this numbering. Two twenty three. Yeah, I I can't think of anything. Um, I think our next one is definitely uh, three eleven. I think so. Right. Yep, the yeah, countdown is or, a- uh, or uh, 300. We can, we can do a commentary on the movie 300. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You, I've actually never seen 300. You've never? No. Uh, uh, it doesn't hold up. Doesn't right. uh, To me, it doesn't really hold up. Yeah, it was cool when I was a kid, but or when I was a teenager, but uh, just, yeah, it doesn't really hold up. Some of the fight scenes just like, especially like the slow motion. Mm-hmm. Uh, thing it's like ah, it's and and they, and they try to inject story to it and it's like ah, it's like boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that was kind of during the time period where the slow motion effect was like really <laughs> probably maybe oh, overused yeah. a bit. <laughs> oh yeah, that was the prime 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 time Tim for the slow motion <laughs> sort of <laughs> coming at you sort of thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I always said it. I think I said it anyway. I think our 311th episode is going to be more of a milestone than our 300th episode. So it yeah. won't be too much of a shock, and I'm more excited for that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely going to be a uh, going to be a Tim episode. Yeah, <laughs> Tim centric episode. Well, if you want, Dane, you got plenty of time to do a 311 deep dive, so you can be part of that fun <laughs> episode and just know what I'm talking about more if you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, by that time, they'll have a new album out. That would be perfect if they drop a new album when we're recording our 311th episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could give your your review for it. Exactly. Have it have an album come out, and let's have our recording be on 311 day that year. <laughs> <laughs> The 311 stars have to align for the perfect episode. <laughs> yeah. Or what you could do for our 311th episode, we could hold off until they do that 
Hopefully COVID will be over and all of its variants will be over by the time Hopefully. we record a 311th episode. Uh, uh, but maybe we can hold off on it until you, you go on the 311 cruise and you can do it live from the 311 cruise. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. And yeah, why don't you can join me on the cruise? We could record our first live episode from the cruise. You can go to your first 311 show. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be the best time ever. I don't know. I, I just feel like even if like you are a 311 fan, I feel like after a while you'd be like, oh, I want to get off this boat. And probably. I mean, <laughs> I have no desire to go on any cruise no matter what, <laughs> but like yeah. I would make the sacrifice <laughs> for a yeah. 311 cruise. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like that um, that Galactic Star Cruiser thing oh, that they're yeah. going to have at Disney World. Yeah. It looks really cool. Really, really cool. Really expensive. So, oh, yeah. Um, like it's, <laughs> I mean, when I saw those prices, I think like the most expensive was like six grand a night or something like yeah, that for like the full experience. It's only for two nights. Exactly, yeah. That's <laughs> uh, not for both nights. I think, is it for both nights or is that 6000 per night? For that full experience i didn't i think it's for both nights okay but at the same time it wouldn't surprise me if it was for each night <laughs> <laughs> oh you said twelve thousand dollars for this experience that's crazy it is. I mean, yeah yeah, yeah I, think it's, I think it's for both nights though. okay that makes it a little better but still yeah. i'm like it looks like a cool experience like you said but at the same time i think i'm good with getting my star wars experience at galaxy's edge for the next few years before paying those prices for the hotel yeah because i i think i think like their two-person package is like and, and you cannot go by yourself i mean you can't go by yourself but you're paying for two people mm. right yeah so is it like their basic package like twenty five hundred dollars so yeah. yeah nothing under a thousand that's for sure <laughs> yeah so, but like, 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 what if you, like, like, what if you do that, and then you have like an emergency of some sort, and you have to leave, right? Can you just like, yeah. they take you out like the, the side exit, the fire yeah. exit? Just... It's like they really can't break the experience, so you gotta pretend like you're stuck in space for a day. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that is a good question. Like, how would they do that? What is there a secret compartment or a location to where no one else sees you leave because they don't want to ruin the experience for anyone yeah. else but yet obviously they can't keep anyone there yeah like like I, i'm sure like they they just let you out of a side entrance or mm. like a side side exit or yeah. a, a fire exit you know it's like okay uh bye <laughs> and when they still have it look like you're going back to the planet that you, you left or there's like a door you open okay experience is over <laughs> you can go <laughs> That's another thing too. Is like you, you spend all that money, and then you gotta buy like Jedi robes and stuff, and you gotta buy the outfit. Like, really? That's not included with it. No, I don't. I, I didn't. I didn't. Well, I didn't read that it was included with it. Well, you're probably I, right I, though. And then you gotta buy the Jedi garb. You know. So, oh, man. <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. I mean, maybe like. The only way I could see it being affordable is like if, let's say you and I go, right? Mm. And then we split the cost halfway. Or you, me, Kyle, and your brothers go and we all split the cost between all of us for the $6,000. Yeah. 
Because yeah. I believe the cabins can fit up to what? How four people, or is it more five. than five? Five. Okay. I think the yeah, I think I think the six thousand dollar one is five. Yeah. I wonder how big those are too. If it's gonna feel like kind of a cramped Cramp. cabin area. Yeah. No, it looks small. But yeah, because the pictures I've seen, yeah, they, they do look kind of small. But I wasn't sure if those were standard size rooms or if there were bigger ones out there that we just haven't seen yet. Yeah, I think the five thousand or six thousand dollar one. I think that one, it has like adjoining rooms, or like okay. there's different rooms. Yeah. I keep going so, back. I keep going back to that line from Jurassic Park where Gennaro says what they're talking about. I mean, I don't want to make this place available only for the super rich. And then Gennaro goes, well, we could have a coupon day or something. I guarantee you some <laughs> Disney exec said that. <laughs> a coupon for Disneyland or, or Disney World? <laughs> yeah, not, not likely, right? Yeah. yeah, especially not for someone Star Wars. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, you won't be hearing any of our episodes or probably any Star Wars The Saga Continues episodes of us recounting an experience at the Galaxy Cruiser for a long, long time. <laughs> Unless one of us wins the lottery or something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if you three like split the cost between you yourselves, maybe it'll be affordable for like that hey. middle <laughs> plan. Yeah. <laughs> then you gotta buy like the Jedi robe and then you go to Galaxy's Edge, and then you gotta fly to Florida. Exactly. Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Might not be worth it. Too. <laughs> <But> <laughs> not yet, anyway. Might not be a good thing. But. <laughs> but maybe before then, maybe there'll be a way to experience Middle Earth and Hobbiton or the Shire or something. <laughs> the trip to New Zealand <laughs> might be actually <laughs> cheaper than going to the Galaxy's Cruiser. <laughs> Um, well, apparently, apparently you don't have to go to uh, New Zealand, right? Because you're filming that that Lord of the Rings show in England, right? I think or they for... said that for season two they're going to do that. Oh, I oh, think that's see. the last headline I read. Oh, I see. Because I remember someone retweeted a tweet from Elijah Wood, kind of with an eye roll emoji, I believe, at that. <laughs> so, oh, really? you know, like, you can't replicate Middle Earth anywhere else but other than New Zealand, which I probably would agree with because it just the movies captured that perfectly at that location. It is so beautiful. Uh, bringing it back to Star Wars, why don't you just CGI the whole thing? CGI Middle Earth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be some elements maybe they'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Just on a green screen in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of New Zealand and Middle Earth, perfect segue to continue our minute by minute commentary of the fellowship of the ring because we are still in that beautiful part of new zealand in the shire as we're continuing to make our way through the beginning of the movie so for this one we're going to be going from minute 12 to 13 because if you remember we did two minutes on our last episode (laughs) it's part of the celebration of episode 222 Um, but we're back to a minute on this one so it'll be from 12 to 13 and as always you want to grab your VHS copy, your DVD copy, your Laserdisc copy, your VCD copy. We haven't said that one in a while. I keep forgetting about that format. <laughs> and your Betamax copy, your Blockbuster membership video card so you can go rent it, your Netflix physical media disc that you just got out of your mailbox today, your DVHS copy, and as always, your converted VHS copy to DVD. So if you have all those, 
and ready to experience this beautiful scenery that we're talking about in the best quality available <laughs> in any of those formats, we can begin the countdown. Dane, are you ready? Uh, no, because you forgot HD DVD. I did forget that. I am sorry. Yeah. Well, when you got some mm. of all those other great formats that are superior to HD DVD, <laughs> you tend the to forget quickest, that. Yeah, the quickest uh, death of, of various media. I I'd think say. so. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> uh, Betamax tape, maybe. Got, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm ready, Tim. I'm ready. Okay. I'll give the countdown in three, two, one, play. So we begin with more hobbits out in the work fields, doing farming, plowing fields, more beautiful scenery like we were talking about. I forgot too, that yeah. I thought we were out of Bilbo's monologue once Gandalf and Frodo met, but no, Bilbo's still talking oh, over no. the scenery here. Such iconic imagery. Like you see, oh, we saw a lot of artwork of this stuff before the movie, just how perfectly the movie captured Gandalf's entrance into the Shire. So, oh, is, it, is this based on the artwork? Some of those shots are, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was Gandalf riding on the wagon. Oh, I see. And, I know. You, you, you know, in this in this uh, sort of day and age, it's weird seeing light actual sunlight reflecting off of elijah wood's face (laughs) (laughs) not artificial lighting (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was a quick minute (laughs) we're just back to Bilbo in the study i finally too i just saw it's it's a leak it hasn't been officially announced yet but i've been waiting for to get the 4k releases of the hobbit and the lord of the rings trilogy that came out because they said they were going to have this one big box set with all six of the movies and like one massive collector's edition. And I was like, oh, that's the one I'm going to get. We haven't heard anything about it, but some images leaked earlier this week showing like the promotional artwork for it, saying that it's coming at the beginning of October. So I was like, yes, finally. <laughs> I saw the images. I go, oh, no one's talking about it that I saw. Oh, all these headlines say it's a leak. So not officially announced yeah. yet, but it looks like that big massive collector's edition set should be coming in October. And I cannot wait for that because <laughs> so it's like after getting Star Wars, on 4k the whole set lord of the ring was the one i've been waiting for the most and it was like i just gotta hold off and wait for that complete collection set because i know it's going to be the best one and the packaging does look the box does look pretty nice and you get these like souvenir items like a replica of the ring and the key to erebor from the hobbit so it's going to be a nice set probably going to be super expensive (laughs) you didn't have the price listed on there but uh, i gotta get it no matter what because i've been holding off on so long (laughs) for the lord of the rings in 4k you would think that that would have happened, have happened already, right? I yeah, but I could. I think I know why they're holding off on it. Because what? once you get to kind of towards the end of the year, um, it's going to be the official 20th anniversary of the Fellowship of the Ring, and they probably wanted to save that for like the big celebration thing <laughs> that you can get uh, for the 20th anniversary. I see. I see. They're trying to line up the anniversaries and stuff like that yeah at least if i was in charge of marketing promotion that's how i would have done it so (laughs) it makes sense that that's why they were hold off on it i wonder how lord of the rings fans would react if the 4k uh set came out for 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 both uh trilogies of films and 
Peter Jefferson went back and changed some stuff, like with, with the CGI and stuff. <laughs> sort of like uh, the, the uh, special like Lucas. editions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they'd be vocal about it, no question. Like he did, he didn't tweak any, like, added new CGI things, but they did touch up some of the CGI and changed the color palette, I think, to have it be consistent through all six films. That's like the extent of what he did. So they might have enhanced some of the effect shots, but nothing completely changed or removed or added, stuff like that. Okay. So uh, today is the day that I start complaining about Lord of the Rings and <laughs> release the original cuts. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because because that was another thing too, right? Is uh, I mean we were talking about this before we started recording, but I finished uh, this book called How Star Wars Conquered the the World, and like you, you would have to figure out which cut you you had back in 1977, like yeah, <laughs> because Lucas was still cutting the film even after the film premiered, he was still recutting the film, so like you would have to figure out which cut that you got back in the day, back in your old cinema, back in 1977, <laughs> and figure out which cut that you had, you, you saw. So It's probably even hard to talk to, find people to talk about that with, too, no internet yeah. and everything. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, release the original cut of Lord of the Rings. Is my new campaign. Uh, uh, I'm sure you get a lot of followers for that, but <laughs> I don't have to worry. I got those original cuts on DVD, so <laughs> just like with Star Wars, I never, never once complained about. Oh, I want the original theatrical versions uh, released. Yeah, I do not care. I really don't. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care about the original. I I've only ever seen the special editions, so. Mm. I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. Yeah, there's some small differences. I mean, I I obviously grew up watching the theatrical VHS tapes, so I notice the differences yeah. all the time. But even the ones I don't like don't bother me anymore. Never really did to the full extent. Yeah, some of them there are. I think there's more improvements over than disappointments than the special edition changes. But even the ones that are yeah. disappointing, just learn to live with it <laughs> instead of complaining, complaining, complaining. You know what I was going to ask you? Uh, no, Marvel and Lucasfilm, Star Wars are owned by Disney, right? Mm. So, like, uh, Marvel, with, with the Marvel movies, with the exception of the first Iron Man movie, I believe, the first or the second, the first and the second, I think, uh, 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 Iron Man movies, uh, every, every other movie from then on, uh, the fight scenes were pre-visualized, meaning you are if if you are the director of a Marvel movie, you have no say in the fight scenes. So like they're all pre pre-visualized beforehand. That's what makes them that 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 just gives them time to you know work 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 on it, make it you know really cool and flashy and stuff. Um. And you're just directing the scenes of people talking, right? Mm. Uh, I wonder if they did do the same thing for the Star Wars movies, like like Force Awakens, Last Jedi, and Rise of Skywalker. I wonder if like it was like you're only directing the talking scenes. 
Um, I so, think it's a balance, actually. Because you always see, even with the prequels, Lucas on set during the fighting acting sequences, direct with the stunt coordinator. And there's some yeah. behind-the-scenes stuff with J.J. in the final lightsaber battle between Rey and Kylo in Force Awakens. Uh, so I think it's a good balance, because they definitely do previs. There's a whole special features documentary in Episode 2 about them pre-visualizing the whole Geonosis battle, which is pretty cool. So I always think, uh, I like to think it's a nice balance between both. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, but the director does have say in the fight scene for the Star Wars movies, right? I think so. Oh, because like I know, like the Marvel movies, like the uh, the directors don't really have any say over the fight scenes. Like they're just directing the talking scenes. I'm not sure on. I don't think so. Maybe in the beginning, like you said, but I don't know. John Favreau, especially for Iron Man, is such a visual. I think director and guy too that he would want <laughs> some bit of aspect and control over those. So, but to well, be honest, he, I haven't. He did, he did with uh, the, I want to say the first two Iron Man movies because those were not Disney films, right? They, they were yeah, for yeah. Sony, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Paramount. Uh, Paramount, right? And like, I think he, I, I think he had some say in the fight scenes, but like. The Disney ones, so like Captain America, I think was the first Disney. I, if I remember, I think actually Avengers was the first distributed Disney. Oh, movie. Avengers. Yeah. Right. So like the Avengers one, like I don't think Favreau had any say on that. Oh no, that that was in Favreau, right? No, that, that was, was weird. Uh, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. So I don't think Joss Whedon had any say on like the fight scenes, right? I don't know. That's uh, to be honest, I haven't really dived too much into the behind the scenes stuff for. MCU movies, so yeah. I'm probably not the best one to <laughs> give uh, a definitive answer to that. But I don't know. It's part of me doesn't want to believe that because it kind of sucks for the directors not to have <laughs> control. And a lot of times, directors say they always have. Well, I shouldn't say most of them. It's a mixed bag in the MCU. But like with James mm-hmm. Gunn, he always says he has complete control pretty much on everything that he gets to do on Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And I, I know the Russo brothers; they've earned the trust from Marvel and Disney probably to do what they wanted in their Avengers movies after how successful the Winter Soldier was. So I think it depends on the director, to be honest. It might be maybe a first-time director playing in the MCU. Maybe they don't have as full control on certain aspects than ones who have worked with them before. That seems like the more likely scenario to me. I mean, like, that's what I was thinking, because, like, um, like the Russo brothers didn't really have a directorial experience before that before the what was the first movie they did it was a winter soldier yeah winter soldier and so like it i I think the theory goes sort of like uh they didn't need it because all they needed to do was direct the talking scenes and it's just two people talking or a group group of people talking right and like uh you can film that and then we're going to put a $30 million fight scene in between it, you know? But at the same <laughs> time, like, too, <laughs> see, at the same time, too, the action in Winter Soldier was unlike anything seen in any other Marvel movie before. And I think it was because of the Russos and they did some inventive stuff with uh, that. So I see. It, yeah. I don't think that applies to that either. But <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting uh, topic, so. though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I wonder how much influence the the director the hired gun if you will yeah will has on the uh fight scenes but yeah because there definitely have been hired gun directors in the mc that's for sure yeah (laughs) 
But yeah, before we get into our feature topic, which will be a review of a movie that just came out recently, Dane had the good idea. um, Which one, Tim? Don't ruin the suspense, Dane. (laughs) That's nine. The last night. I don't want to knock anyone who's a fan, but the Fast movies, I never had a desire to see. And I don't think I will ever, <laughs> ever have a desire to see. I've never seen any of them. I don't really I, plan on watching. I would really like to see it. Uh, I've only seen the first one. And okay. Which is 20 I, years I, I old, I think, you, now. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you know this, Tim, but in that first one, they were stealing VCRs. Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And now they're fighting terrorism with cars. In space? Are they going in space in now space. or something? <laughs> I, I think in fast, whatever, they're in space. So, yeah. I, I want to see that progression. Like, how do you get from like street racing <laughs> slash ripping off VCRs from the Walmart to, <laughs> to fighting crime in space, you know? <laughs> Uh, see, that's a detail I never knew about it, but I find that hilarious now. <laughs> I, I I will say, though, I've seen this, like, I think even when the eighth movie came out, I saw people on Twitter saying, you know, if the tenth movie isn't called Fast 10, your seatbelts, what's been the point of this whole series? So it's like, I really want that to be the title for the tenth movie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just have the name be as ridiculous Fast as probably the movie is. <laughs> Fast in your seatbelt. Yeah. Oh, that, that that is perfect. If that's the name, maybe I'll go see that one. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, before we get into that review, Dane, you had the great idea for a new segment for at least, what, 12 episodes <laughs> moving forward? Yeah. Which yeah, you right. wanted. The, the three trilogies, so that's nine, mm-hmm. right? Rogue One, mm-hmm. Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. And solo. There it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so, uh, 12. so for the next 12 episodes, we are going to be giving our top three favorite moments from each Star Wars movie. Brilliant idea, Dane. Like when you said that, would you want to do that? I was like, of, of course. Why wouldn't I want to do that? <laughs> like, I'm totally down. <laughs> so yeah. now, how do you want to do it, Dane? Release order or in chronological order, beginning with the Phantom Menace? Yeah, uh, chronological. Yeah, so uh, Phantom Menace. Okay. Is our first, yeah. All right. So I'm, I kind of go over this stuff in my head anyway, so it wasn't too hard to think of some of my favorite moments. So <laughs> um, I'll go ahead and begin mine. So first off, number three from The Phantom Menace, Anakin saying goodbye to his mother and joining Qui-Gon for the greatest journey of his life and setting the stage for the entire Star Wars saga. I said this before, but that's a moment where I truly believe the Star Wars Skywalker saga begins. That moment where Anakin doesn't look back, walks, says goodbye to his mother, and just goes off into fulfill his destiny. And you hear the fourth theme music play. Uh, it was so great. And I know everyone likes to bag on Jake Lloyd and his performance. And yeah, it's not great for most of the movie, but I do think that is the one part where he nailed it. I don't like Lucas even says that. <laughs> uh, and so either in the commentary or some in- interviews I've read, but that's just a great scene from the movie. So that's my number three pick. I love it. Uh, before I give my number three, uh, one of the coolest posters, I don't think a, a poster yeah. has ever beaten it, right? Mm-hmm. 
Oh, at least when it comes Lloyd to teaser posters, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, with the Vader shadow, I don't think mm-hmm. any poster has really beaten it. But yeah, uh, my number Did three you... is. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I just remember seeing that for the first time and like talk about an image to get you excited for the next Star Wars movie. <laughs> like, wow, it's such yeah. an amazing thing to see for the first time. Yeah, I remember seeing it and like being like, that is cool because. You know, when you're a kid, you don't really notice that sort of thing. Like, you just see Jake Lloyd walking next to a hut, and you don't really see the shadow. But I remember mm-hmm. specifically seeing that shadow of uh, Vader. Um, my number three is a controversial one, because a lot of people rag on it. A lot of people don't like it. Um, it's the pod race. Mm. Uh, it shouldn't I, be controversial, because that seems amazing. Really? Because I specifically remember people writing on it. No, uh, no, you're right. I'm just saying it shouldn't be because it's yeah. an amazing sequence. <laughs> oh, oh, I see, I see. Yeah, it's it's a really, really well done sequence, and a lot of people don't give it um, don't give it a lot of credit. I like how there's no music in it. Yeah, uh, you, know, you would expect it. like a big, you know, fast paced John Williams sort of score to it, but there's really nothing, and the sound design of the of the different pod rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, pod racers is, is really well done and uh how anakin sort of like handles himself and you know even though he, his pod racer was sabotaged now he handles himself and um yeah uh, uh, uh liam neeson uh anakin's mom and uh nally portman don't really have a lot to do besides look at nothing but <laughs> like yeah. like i <laughs> I uh, I really enjoyed it. The the one criticism I do have is the the Java CGI in it. Mm. It does not look very good. It really doesn't look good. Oh, it looked miles it, better it, than it, the first special edition Java. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it, it, they just were not pulling it off in in that scene. But besides that, yeah, I really like that scene. Um, just how there's no music. It's just the engines of the the pod racers. And, yeah, it's a, it's a really good scene. Agree, and I think for my number two pick, this is going to probably be a controversial one as well. But I'm going to go with the whole Senate sequence on Coruscant, where Padme declares a no confidence in Chancellor Valorum and Palpatine's. That's that's where you see the first bits of the genius of Palpatine and his plan coming to fruition, the early stages of it, and just not knowing at the time, you know, you knew he was obviously going to become the emperor and this was the early stages of that but knowing what came after of this was all is the whole blockade of naboo all that was for him to become chancellor gain control orchestrate a war from both ends have him become emperor create the empire all that amazing stuff we saw in clone wars it all started in that moment and everyone complains of how boring it is and how uh, this is not what we came we didn't come for star wars to see politics and debates in the senate and all that but it's one of the most important scenes in the entire saga. You're seeing the birth of the rise of power for Palpatine in that moment, manipulating people, it's manipulating Padme there to get what he wants. It's just so brilliantly well done where I don't think a lot of people realize at the time just how important and amazing that scene is as seeing the birth of Palpatine and his rise to power there. So I just love it, especially as we get more stories moved on 
like I said, in the, not only episodes two and three, but in the Clone Wars, it just makes that scene even so much better just to see the genius of Palpatine at work there. So that's my second one. I know everyone complains about those Senate scenes, but I love watching it now. So that's my number two pick. Yeah, I never really understood. Like, keep, keep you know, politics out of Star Wars. Keep your personal politics out of Star okay. Wars. It's you like, know, like we, we were just talking about the Ahsoka book and like how people are bashing it because there's a, you know, they, they don't like the personal politics of it all. Um, but Star Wars was born of politics, right? Mm-hmm. Star yep. Wars <laughs> is politics, For right? A very it's, it's a criticism. Movie. Yeah, it's a criticism of America, really, <laughs> right? You know, we think we're the rebels, but we are the empire. Right. And it, it like Star Wars is politics. And like there's a reason why in Return of the Jedi in the in the throne room, there's a reason why Palpatine's throne room is oval in shape. Right. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I never really got that. Um, that complaint, but whatever. It's, yeah, um, honestly, it's, people who say that. Just they missed the point of Star Wars if that's how they're yeah. viewing it. Yeah. At least a Star big Wars aspect of it. I'll say. Yeah. So, yeah, Star Wars is politics. Uh, but anyway, um, my second one uh, sort of had to fight with a little bit because, yeah, I, I, I was going to say the, the Senate chamber uh, scenes like you, but um, one thing that I picked up, picked up on that people don't really mention. Uh, is the first appearance of Darth Maul and every subsequent appearance in uh, the film. Th- there's a music cue every time he, he pops up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like the whispers. Sl- <laughs> chant- yeah, like a yeah. chanting whisper. Yeah. I, I I just really like that that aspect of it. And like it, it adds to his character, like the menace of his character. Um, so yeah, that, that's my second. Cool. And for my number one, leading kind of piggybacking off yours, I mean, what else could it be? The duel of the fates. I mean, <laughs> that <laughs> lightsaber battle between Anakin. I mean, Anakin. Well, we know thanks to Dave Filoni and his brilliant explanation of that <laughs> on the Disney Gallery episode, how the duel of the fates is for the fate of Anakin. About, uh, but the battle between Qui Gon, Obi Wan, and Maul. God, that just blew my mind. Just seeing the first glimpses of it of the trailers and then seeing it in the actual movie, it's just amazing. The choreography, I mean, we heard teases from Lucas before the movie came out, how we're going to see lightsaber battles that uh, you never thought possible or would ever expect because we're seeing Jedi in their prime year. And it did not disappoint seeing what Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon and Maul did in that battle. And just as I alluded to, setting the stage for the rest of the saga, the duel of the fates, uh, the fate being of Anakin if, with the death of Qui-Gon setting the course of his path on a totally different journey and just what it all means and you throw in the music the iconic Duel of the Fates theme it's one of the greatest Star Wars themes ever and I think one of the most iconic movie themes ever now looking back on it so it's just an entire the sequence is amazing in its entirety it's just so fantastic um, from everything about it from what it means to the saga the fight choreography and just geeking out as a fan for seeing stuff in Star Wars that you never saw before for the first time. And it still holds up as my favorite lightsaber fight. It's just that good. So 
yeah, Duel of the Fates, easily my number one favorite moment from The Phantom Menace. Yeah, you said it all, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had a feeling that'd be yours, too. Uh, my number one is uh, Duel of the Fates. Uh, can't really say anything that you've said before, uh, just said, Tim, but oh, that's a great fight scene. Um, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's all. Oh, um, Darth, Maul, uh, Darth Maul's double-bladed lightsaber. I told that in too, yeah. As a kid. Uh-huh. Yeah, that blew my mind as a kid. Yep. So, yeah, that's uh, all I I'm still, saying. I still remember seeing that trailer for the first time and just remembering my reaction for almost every shot. Is that one with the double-bladed lightsaber? Uh, like, oh, it's happening because it wasn't the first time I saw a double-bladed lightsaber. I've seen Star Wars comics with the kind of the tales of the Jedi old comics where they had double-bladed lightsabers, but seeing one in live action for the first time, it was like wow <laughs> it just looked as amazing yeah. as it as i would imagine uh now you're bringing back some good memories with this topic games <laughs> that was such a magical really great time topic, yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah we um we, we like to be i don't know what the right word is tim like how we do our minute by minute commentaries we like to be uh what's the word tim thorough <laughs> yes <laughs> with our love of star wars yes I mean, how can you not be when you love this stuff so much? It is different things pop in your head that you just want to bring out and talk about. It's kind of hard to shut up yeah. sometimes. But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. Thanks for bringing that up, yeah. Dane. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to the next one. I mean, what I yeah. view is the most underrated Star Wars movie, Attack of the Clones. I mm-hmm. might have to think a little bit harder about my favorite moments for this one because <laughs> there's a lot of them. I uh, I i am right there with you uh attack of the clones is one of my favorite star wars movies i know a lot of people hate on it um sure like it's it's plotting and like it doesn't really have that star wars feeling to it but i love that movie especially the final scene but 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 we'll get to it we'll get to it (laughs) so yeah stay tuned for episode 224 for our favorite attack of the clones moments but with that we can go ahead and get into our feature topic for this episode which is going to be our review for the latest dc movie that came out and also premiered on hbo max and that is the suicide squad um and yeah this one i mean it just seems like not too long ago we were watching the first footage of it or behind the scenes footage that was revealed at uh, dc fandom just last year and it seemed like it was like such a far watching the fandom footage it felt like the movie was a far ways off but in reality it wasn't it's here now and we finally got to see it so we're going to give our thoughts spoilers um hopefully everyone's seen it by now because we're not going to shy back on some of the big stuff and many deaths that happened in this movie (laughs) so um yeah so just general i guess first reactions for me is that i thought it was great i really enjoyed it it was pretty much what I was hoping for from a James Gunn directed Suicide Squad movie. It was totally different from the first one as far as tone and story, but yet using the same some of the same characters from that first one. And I know there's been debates. Is it a sequel? Is it a reboot? Is it a semi-sequel reboot? But in my mind, it's definitely a sequel. I mean, there's <laughs> you got the same characters. The They show that the relationships they have between certain characters, you know, is stemming from the first movie. So... Even though it's different, they don't reference pretty much anything from the first movie or any other DCEU films. To me, it's still a 
a natural progression with these characters in that same universe. So to me, that seems like such a wasted time debating about. <laughs> but uh, I enjoyed the the plot of this movie. It felt more in tone with a Suicide Squad story that I would expect more so than the first one, shying away from some of the more supernatural elements that that one had. And this kind of oh, focusing. Man. Don't remind me. <laughs> and i'm actually someone who enjoys that first suicide squad movie it has its problems without question but for the most part yeah. i enjoyed it but one of the things i didn't really like was that what their mission was about and that supernatural side of things and although we get more of a sci-fi aspect in this one uh, it just felt more there was more of that governmental espionage um element that you would expect for the suicide squad mission to have but yet it, it, then it turns into that sci-fi aspect of it um, more naturally than, than the other one did, in my opinion. So, And the characters were great. We'll talk a little bit more about them as we go along, but I really enjoyed this cast dynamic with these characters that a lot of them, even diehard comic fans, probably aren't too familiar with. Uh, but uh, James Gunn proved once again how he's the master at taking these D-list comic book characters that a lot of people aren't too familiar with and then just making entertaining stories with them in movies and making you care and be engaged with them throughout the course of a two hour film. And he did that again with Suicide Squad. So, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, so did I. I and I can't believe I'm saying that. I, <laughs> I really I did not like that first Suicide Squad movie. It's. Uh, maybe the. <laughs> The so-called air cut is much, much better or whatever. But look, we got we got a movie. It was not done very well. Um, but this one was done really, really well. Uh, James Gunn sort of like... Like, uh, I'm using this... Uh, you said D-list... Uh, cast of characters i'm saying z-list cast of characters yeah, that, that might be more accurate I've, yeah i've never heard of it, most of these characters so uh yeah and and just a carefree we're not taking things too seriously but mm -hmm. can be serious in certain moments like i'm talking about like the, the conversation between um red flag and um john cena um peacemaker yeah peacemaker like there are serious serious moments that like but it's mostly just like we are just having fun and that's all we're gonna do and it's gonna be a good ride and i really appreciate that because that's what that first one was missing and a lot of these dc movies are missing is like that fun sort of like carefree sort of thing and i think this movie, along with Shazam, uh, Dead, the Deadpool movies, I think that is the way to go for superhero movies now. Where it's like, you know, we gotta have fun. We, I mean, it can't be like this Christopher Nolan hyper realistic, sort of like dark, complicated movie because like he's already done that, right? And like, it was such a specific vision of that and like i i don't think we can go back to it and I, I don't think we can replicate it um but with but with this sort of movie it's like we can have like these serious moments like of uh the rat king 2 because they couldn't get the first one um they 
she she has these moments like talking with her dad. Yeah. Like it's it's like this precious like emotional scene, and then you can have like a a big giant kaiju going around the city that yeah. talks. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you can have these fun scenes, right? You can have both, and you can evenly balance it. Balance it, and I think that's the key. Is like you can it's just evenly balanced, mm. and I think that's what James Gunn really really excelled at with this movie and so like i i really enjoyed it uh if i had a criticism it would probably be uh, is it, it is it amanda waller yeah that's him mm-hmm. yeah right like <laughs> still we can't find anything for her to do besides be like this cold-hearted sort of like you're gonna do the mission or i'm gonna explode the bomb in your brain <laughs> sort of thing. And I wish there was a little bit more, but yeah, um, I would agree with that. But yeah. Viola Davis yeah. is great as Amanda Waller, and oh, she yeah. captures her wrong. perfectly. Yeah. But I agree, she didn't have much to do in this one. Yeah, like her acting is good, and she she really sells it. And um, yeah, I hope there's a Suicide Squad too, because like I want to see where like this group of the Suicide Squad goes. Um, and I I I kind of like what they're I mean, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I have no, like, knowledge of what they're going to do, right? But, like, if, I don't know, it just Elba just want to come back for another movie, mm-hmm. then you can replace him with another Z-list character that doesn't really have a, <laughs> you know, that, that would yeah. never really appear in a movie, another movie, right? And you can replace him with that, or uh, Peacemaker, uh, John Cena doesn't want to come back. You, you can replace him with another character, right? You, you, you can mix and match. You know? Yeah. And well, the cool thing is, there is a potential for some of these characters to come back because we know they're making a Peacemaker HBO Max TV series, which is already shot and done, which is it's going to premiere in yeah. January. So maybe they might not get a full blown sequel, but I think there's probably a good chance we may see some of these characters show up in his series, maybe. Because I'm going to jump ahead here a little bit, but at the end where we got that like great standoff and duel between Bloodsport and Peacemaker here. And when it looks like Bloodsport kills Peacemaker. When that happened, I thought, okay, so maybe his TV show is going to be a prequel. It's going to take place before all this. Before. But then in the post credit scene, we learn he's still alive. So it, at least anyway for right now, I'm thinking the TV series may pick up where this left off with Peacemaker. Do you know anything about Peacemaker? Because like, no. <laughs> he, he, he's like he's like a like a so, sort of like a a soldier, like a Captain America type soldier, a Z-list Captain America. Yeah. Like, um, like I, I well, believe either, I believe John Cena or James Gunn even described him like when it was first announced that he's like Captain America. He was like a total jerk or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah, is pretty he's, accurate. Uh, he's a US agent. He's yeah. US agent. <laughs> Almost, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has that great, great line where he goes, I mean, I want peace more than anything, and I'm willing to kill every man, woman, and child in order to get it. Just like immediately contradicting himself for what he believes in <laughs> maintaining peace. Right. Do, do, do you know the original name of Captain America? What they were going to call him? Uh, um, no, it's not. Can't recall if there was right now. I'll, I'll probably, when you say it, I'll probably go, oh, yeah, that's right. But right yeah. now, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. Super American. Super American. Yeah, I don't remember hearing yeah. that. Yeah, super American. I, I'm reading this uh, Stanley biography. 
Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, like they, they were originally uh, Jack Kirby and I forget the other guy's name, um, Simon uh, something. I forget, but uh, yeah, they, they were originally going to call him uh, Super American. <laughs> and like um, the the only reason why Captain America's shield is is round, right, is mm-hmm. because uh, there was another character with a shield. That was like this American hero sort of character because this was kind of around the, the Second World War. He had like a shield that was like a certain shape and they drew it as that certain shape and they wanted to avoid a lawsuit. So okay. that's why he has a round shield. <laughs> uh, the, the weird circumstances that make things iconic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. back to the, the yeah. suicide. I never knew that. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, one of the things I loved about the movie, and I was curious to see how James Gunn was going to pull this off. Where when we had that first announcement of all the characters that were going to be in this, it's like, yeah, we knew most of them aren't going to survive, especially some of these even like you said, Z-list characters, characters like Javelin and then Savant, uh, Weasel, like character T-D-K. yeah, Weasel. Uh, it's like you knew most of these weren't going to survive, but were all these going to be part yeah. of this big team, like? What's the team dynamic going to be? Is it going to be too big? But I just love how it starts where you see most of those Z-list characters along with Rick Flagg and Harley be sent out on this mission, and it just goes terribly wrong in your scene. It was a cool action sequence, but then you're just seeing all these members of the squad just get picked off, and then Michael Rooker's character, Savant, gets scared, runs away, his head blows up, and you go, okay, this is how they're going to probably need a new team to finish off this, finish up this mission and save Harley, Rick Flagg, and whatnot. But I just loved how... It was like, no, both this team and then your main cast of characters for the squad, like Bloodsport, like Peacemaker, King Shark, Ratcatcher, Polka Dot Man, they were on the main mission while that other team was the distraction so they can get on Colta Mortis. Um, so I just loved how I wasn't expecting that, but I thought it was brilliantly done to get a lot of these unknown characters in for a fun action sequence, but yet you're still moving the plot forward with your main group of characters you're going to focus on here and their mission. So just a great way of using all these different characters that made sense in the overall story. Sorry, I said Rat King. I meant Rat Catcher. <laughs> Did you say Rat King? I thought you said Rat Catcher, but... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I said Rat King. My bad. No, no problem. Rat King's a great TMNT villain, so I can understand making that confusion. <laughs> yeah, so Rat Catcher 2 and... They couldn't get the original rat catcher. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you you fixed it. <laughs> so that, yeah, that, that's a really cool thing though. I mean, she just has a wand that calls all the rats. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love how Bloodsport was on this big fear of rats, and um, uh, one of my favorite characters, Sebastian the rat, the one that was always on her shoulder <laughs> and communicating yeah, yeah. and wanted to be friends with Bloodsport because he saw good with him. It was like I said, I tweeted this out after I saw it where you knew this was going to be a movie with a lot of casualties. But out of all the characters, the one I was concerned about the most was Sebastian the Rat because I <laughs> wouldn't be able to handle it if he got killed. <laughs> Thankfully, no, he didn't. No way. No way. And <laughs> I'm wondering what he keeps in his little backpack. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he has like a little vest on. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what is he keeping that? Just some food? I know we didn't get that's a mystery we have to get resolved. <laughs> Whether yeah. it's a Peacemaker series or a future story with Ratcatcher 2. Because that's the thing. It'll, and, uh, for, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dane. 
Oh no, I was gonna say another great character is Button Man. You know, uh, he just Polka Dot Man. Polka Dot Man, sorry. Yes, sir. (laughs) Uh, Polka. See, see, I'm sorry because these are like Z-list characters that you never really hear from. Mm. Okay, Uh, let me do. Let me take that again, Tim. Polka Dot Man. yeah, like how he just fires polka dots all over the place because he's like he has like some kind of like virus or something, mm. and like he, he uh, was like scared scared of his mom, so like he just sees his mom and everybody. Yeah. And there's that one scene where <laughs> where he's like looking at the Suicide Squad and uh, all <laughs> his mom. Yeah, <laughs> and, and he visualizes his mom as the kaiju. Oh man, that yeah, I lost it on that scene. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh man, I can't believe I'm seeing this, but it's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's too bad he he dies. Yeah, um, that was. I, I really like the character. Yeah, that was a bummer one. And the other one I was bummed to see was get killed was Rick Flag. I really enjoyed his character. I thought Joel Kinnaman did a great job fleshing out this character way more so in the first movie, and just being someone. You know, he went along with the missions, but when he found out the real reason why Waller sent him to Corto Maltese to hide that the U.S. was mainly involved with the Starro program, and just I was like, nope, that's it. I'm done following, like being used as a puppet to clean up uh, the government's mess and how he was going to bring to light um, what they were involved in with that hard drive. And that's where Peacemaker didn't want that to happen because, like he said, wants to maintain peace no matter the cost. And they had that great fight, and then it ended tragically for Rick Flagg. So I was a little bummed to see him. I get killed off in this movie, but he had a great line where he just calls Peacemaker a joke. <laughs> that was great. And so that that was a great sequence. And that was one of the more elements where I agree where it kind of did take on more serious themes there for a great battle between those two, mixing it in with all the other fun stuff. So Rick Flagg, I thought was another great character in this, but was sad to see him go. Him and Polka Dot Man were definitely <laughs> the saddest deaths in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I kind of feel that uh, John Cena sort of steals the show until he quote unquote dies, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't know. Like I, I just think these professional wrestlers, ex-professional wrestlers, they, they just have like this sort of showmanship that like regular actors really don't. Like you see it with Bautista, uh, Dave Bautista, yeah. mm-hmm. with The Rock, especially. Yeah. <laughs> and then now John Cena. Right, like he he has this uh, charisma. He's charismatic, you know. Yeah. He has this screen presence that like a lot of the uh, other actors don't really have, and uh, he just steals the show for me. Uh, like he he was the star of the show uh, of Suicide Squad for me, besides Harley. Um, yeah. yeah. To be honest, I, I don't think I've seen much of John Cena in anything really. Um, I've yeah. heard heard his voice work. He was the main villain in the Rise of the TMNT animated series, uh, but an actual movie. This is probably the first major film I've seen him in. And yeah, I was really impressed with him, just the way he kind of handed up in certain moments and the craziness of his character. I think worked really well with the serious and stoic attitude of Idris Elba. I love the rivalry they had throughout that movie, especially yeah. in that sequence where they're trying to one up each other with the most impressive kills. Um, and then, just, oh right, that, that that's a great scene where they're yeah. like killing everybody and then they get to the the lady. And um, uh, Rick Flay, and she's like, "Where's all my guns?" Yeah, they're actually freedom oh. fighters <laughs> trying to, <laughs> like, the government are trying to fight. Like, the again, rebels. Just, again, just showing just how 
what a band of misfit the squad is and this how they're not good guys <laughs> and stuff like that's going to happen when you bring these type of characters together and so yeah that was yeah. it was like a funny but sad moment at the same time too <laughs> but it just fit with yeah. these type of characters that they would do something so ridiculous and stupid that would end up costing a lot <laughs> so but yeah, yeah their dynamics work like, really well together it's like they're bad guys and they're really bad at what they do yeah <laughs> you know that's the point but yeah deep down in some of them anyway there's some goodness like uh, with Bloodsport I was kind of a little bit worried with Bloodsport how he was just going to be the replacement character for Deadshot especially when you throw in that element of his daughter that Deadshot had in his movie but it was a totally different scenario and circumstance than what Deadshot was involved with so I'm glad it wasn't exactly the same but Idris Elba's character was really great and uh Bloodsport had a lot of cool stuff. His helmet looked awesome. That gun he puts together at the very end that just kept getting bigger and bigger <laughs> to try to take down oh, yeah, Starro. <laughs> I was yeah. like, man, when's when's yeah. that thing gonna what's the last piece he's gonna fit on that thing? <laughs> yeah, and uh, you kinda touched on it. Like it, it kinda is the same thing as uh Deadshot, where it's like his daughter you know, you know, he's doing it all for his daughter and everything. But like, I, I guess I, I was at the point in the movie where I was like, you know, I don't really care. You know, I'm just, I'm just here for the ride, sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, but it made a, to have that history with Deadshot. I mean, <laughs> Deadshot. There I go already with Bloodsport uh, because it sets up uh, the new kind of father-daughter relationship you got with Ratcatcher too. And just how that was, those are two great characters and probably the best character dynamics in the film that you really bought as far as them kind of growing closer together, as far as her losing her father and him having that estranged relationship with his daughter that they would kind of connect for a father-daughter relationship. It was really, that was the heart of the movie for me that really had, that made you care about not just their characters, but set the tone for the, some of the other character dynamics as well. Because Ratcatcher 2 was a really great character here. And it paid off for a great moment where um, they were on the bus where I forget the exact wording, but he tells her um, like, he's not going to let her die. And she says the same thing to him. Like he's not, she's not going to let him die. And both of them kind of fulfill that promise where Bloodsport saves Ratcatcher from Peacemaker. And then at the very end, Ratcatcher has that great moment of seeing saving Bloodsport and pretty much <laughs> the entire planet, you could say. From Star Wars, from Star Wars, when she summons all those rats to take him down, and it was just great to see because we—I mentioned earlier about Bloodsport having that fear of rats, and then she, the way he kind of cowers and and to kind of protect himself from all the rats crawling over him, which had to be pretty much a hell for him, and then she just comfortly puts her hand on him on like a shoulder or his head to just protect what little bit she can of him as she's controlling all the the rats. To me, that just really culminated to what their relationship has uh, grown into over the course of the movie. So all that stuff between those two characters, I thought was really great. And then that's, that's sort of what I'm talking about. You know, when I say in any other movie, that's just like some cheesy. Yeah. Right. But Mm -hmm. like with this movie, uh, it, it sort, it really works. Like it really actually works, and it works with the with the crudeness of the Suicide Squad, you know, all the gore and the cussing and all that. Like it works really well together. Definitely. Yeah. Then you got King Shark, who 
more or less is going to be the comic, the more major comedy relief I thought in this movie. And even he had his moments where you felt sympathy for him because spots where they were like out going to that club and he had to remain inside. He doesn't say anything, but you just see this look on his face. It just looks like really sad and you just feel for him and the way he couldn't wear a costume like he wanted to. And he's not the smartest member of the group. And then you get that moment too, where he's in, he sees the aquarium, he sees these different uh, sea creatures there and he's all happy thinking he's making friends. Cause the whole point is that uh, at least his story arcs about the film is that he doesn't have friends or never will. And rat catcher too wants to show him that he does will have friends, especially with her. And you just see him all happy dancing around with those sea creatures and the aquarium breaks, the water starts going overflowing and then they start attacking him and start seeing him bleed out. It's like, Oh no, I hope he doesn't go out this way. This will be pretty sad. And then he falls, then he starts getting shot by the uh, quarter Maltese army. It's like, I really hope King shark doesn't go out this way, but thankfully he doesn't. He definitely gets his revenge on those soldiers. (laughs) It's some bloody carnage that he, uh displays on there but king shark i thought he was a character i thought was used just right wasn't used over the top for some ridiculous moments even though he did have some ridiculous moments the way he ate some people but it was used just enough that fit with the overall tone of the movie and yet had some heartfelt moments too where you kind of felt sympathy for the character doesn't he like rip a guy in half yes he does Uh, (laughs) in that that fight scene yeah, yeah, that's when he really cuts loose. And that's like I said, when he starts going crazy. And there's that one shot, probably the most gruesome shot of the movie, in my opinion, where you see the head of someone he ripped off just sitting in his mouth <laughs> before he starts chopping oh, yeah, on it. Right. I was like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that, that was a great scene with, uh, with him in that aquarium. And then he's mm-hmm. making friends with all these little, like, they look like jellyfish. Yeah. And then uh, the tank breaks, and then they're all attacking him. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was great. And props to Sylvester Stallone for doing a great job. <laughs> Voice of King Shark. <laughs> he was awesome. I don't and know if he was actually on set doing I don't, the voice, no. or if he was just like, yeah. I don't think he was. I know he definitely do, He didn't do the motion cap capture for the character. Um, there was someone else yeah. who was in the mocap suit, but I probably just think he was probably just doing the voiceovers in the studio right which and is then, what i think uh i i mean I, I i don't know for sure but if if i was vin diesel i would just be like i'm not doing the motion capture i'm just gonna do the voice of group yeah <laughs> i'll just say group 19 times in 19 different ways and then you can use it well, that's pretty much his gig, yeah. Because <laughs> he definitely doesn't do the mocap. Yeah. And that just leaves us to one last major character. That, of course, is going to be the one and only Harley Quinn, who probably had her best movie appearance yet. She was fantastic in this. The way that she was used, Margot Robbie's performance, it was just awesome. And I just really like kind of the progression we've seen of Harley from the first Suicide Squad to Birds of Prey to now. And it still has that fun, uh, crazy side of Harley that we all love. But once we got to that moment where she was captured by the El Presidente and he's giving that whole speech of like the villain speech of what he's going to do, harming children. And then Harley, she, she turns around and she just shoots him. And in her own <laughs> Harley Quinn way that's her way of showing growth (laughs) where 
She's not going to be subjected to another crazy man like she was with the Joker. She doesn't name drop the Joker, but when she's giving that speech, you know exactly who she's talking about, about those horrible, toxic relationships and how she's not going to go through that anymore. And what's her way to solve that? By killing that person. (laughs) So, I mean, like I said, in the old Harley Quinn way, that's her way of kind of showing some growth from her character in the past and what she's been through. But then that leads to a fantastic action sequence between Harley, her escapes sequence um, after she was tied up. And I liked, it was mentioned too, how where she picks up the key with her feet and unlocks herself, how James Gunn and her said, Margot Robbie did all that. Like there was no stunt person <laughs> doing that feat of her really? getting the key with her foot and then just unlocking that lock. So that paved the way for a really awesome Harley Quinn action sequence. And then we saw it in the trailer, but it's still a great moment where we see all that but then Rick Flag and Bloodsport, they had this elaborate plan to rescue her. And when she finds out that they were going to rescue her, this like brings this joy that she, I don't think she ever experienced before, where people were actually cared about her enough to rescue her just for the fact that she was Rick Flag's friend and her and their teammate. Again, showing that history that you wouldn't have unless the first movie happened, which why I think it's a sequel. So that was just another great moment that seeing that pure joy that Harley wasn't expecting uh, from someone that she just realized was a friend of hers, didn't want anything in return, wasn't trying to control or manipulate her, but was just someone that viewed her as a comrade and as a friend, and he wanted to make sure she didn't get left behind. And then she even drives that point home more when she finds out that Rick Flagg died and that he that he was a friend to hers. So just great stuff with Harley, and it was cool to see her get the final killing blow to Starro as she goes into his eye and just stabs it with that javelin. <laughs> uh, that was another little fun thing I like with before he died, Javelin gave her the Javelin. She's like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? What's the purpose? And then she realized, oh, it's later on. That's to kill Starro. So I really loved Harley in this movie. I thought it was her best appearance yet in a DC movie. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, one thing you did forget to mention was, uh, well, you kind of mentioned it, was when she finally escapes and she calls a cab. She oh, catches yeah. a cab and she sees... <laughs> Rick Flay and uh, Bloodsport crossing the street to rescue her, and then she she goes around the corner, and then Bloodsport is like, like climbing up a building, <laughs> and then they they turn around and they see her. Yeah, I like how he just stops like halfway up, and it's like looking down at her. Yeah, well, but what uh, makes it even better yeah. too is how it's mixed with his casual street clothes with his helmet on. Like him and Peacemaker have their helmets, but they're just wearing like white t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> this made for a funny visual. Yeah. Yeah. So Harley was great. All these characters were great. And I guess the last thing I want to mention to talk about, just from a pure DC fanboy moment, seeing Starro in live action, that was amazing. I couldn't believe we were getting that. Starro's obviously the first big villain that the Justice League faced off against. But in the movie universe, it's going to be the Suicide Squad. And it was so fun just to see Starro in his all his glory. They didn't shy away from it. They made him a big kaiju, like you, like they said in the movie, and like you referenced. But they still utilized his powers, where he'd shoot out these little miniature versions of himself, go on these people's faces and mind control them, and he would talk through these people. All that. I read it in comics. I've seen it in uh, the DC animated uh, series, like Justice League. So seeing it in live action, all that stuff, I was just geeking out so much. It was just really cool to see. I never thought I'd see Starro be used to his full potential without shying away from some 
how crazy it would be. And James Gunn just did it full blown. And I loved him for that. Star Row was awesome. Just a great final moment, this big uh, skeptical finale that you expect to see in some of these movies. And like I said at the beginning, not necessarily something I think always works for the Suicide Squad. I think they tend to work out in more grounded missions, what this one was for the most part. But uh, for whatever reason, I felt this one just worked. <laughs> it felt natural in the progression for what we were seeing in this movie. And to cap it off with this great final battle with a classic DC villain like Starro, I just thought it was awesome. And I ate it all up. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I kind of didn't understand what was happening. Like when, when you uh, are, or when Harley um, jumps through the eye, because mm-hmm. like his eye is water. Yeah. I, uh, that's weird. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah, like, but, swimming around it. It is an alien life form, so I'm sure it'd be somewhat different. <laughs> Just a normal human eye. <laughs> but yeah, made for a great finale. It was fantastic. Yeah. So yeah, that's our thoughts on the Suicide Squad. I I loved it. Sounds like you loved it too, Dane. So if I were to give it a score... I'd go ahead and give it a solid four out of five. Not really too much to complain about, but just a really great time and a fun experience and just a great addition to uh, the ever-growing library, not just DC comic book movies, but just comic book movies in general. Yeah, I'm right there with you, four out of five. You know, it's a big, huge step in the right direction, especially after uh, Wonder Woman 1984. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 uh it's by far uh, the 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 best yeah I'd say probably the best movie that DC Warner Brothers has released post post uh, Dark Knight trilogy yeah oh wow interesting <laughs> yeah because you know I I don't have to tell you I'm not I'm not really a fan of Man of Steel. Yeah. Uh, BBS, Justice League, uh, Wonder Woman was good, uh, Shazam was good, Wonder Woman 84 wasn't good. Uh, that that so might yeah. be my, one uh, of my biggest disappointed comic book movies in a long time. <laughs> I st- I've still only seen it once. And I haven't even bought it yet. The fact uh, that I haven't bought it, yeah, the fact that I haven't even bought it to uh, complete my uh, superhero yeah. movie collection... It tells you pretty much of how I feel about it, how disappointed I was. Yeah, not the greatest. Not the greatest in the bunch. No. (laughs) So, yeah, one thing the Suicide Squad movie did, too, was made me excited for the Peacemaker series. So (laughs) I was like, I didn't know if I was going to be interested. I was kind of waiting to see what I thought of the character once I saw the movie. Now it's like, okay, I'm going to watch the first episode when it premieres. And I yeah, think I wonder about, if it's going to be like, uh, I wonder if it's going to be like uh, just as bloody and gory as the, the movie is. Yeah, it might be. I mean, with HBO Max, they can kind of do whatever they want. So. Oh, yeah, right. No, for, for, for some reason, I, I was thinking this is going to be released on that DC app thing. But like, I know. Well, I think that doesn't gone. even exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I got my timeline mixed up. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so this is the latest DC movie, and it's kind of hard to think, but I I believe the next one we're going to be talking about, Dane, is The Batman, which hopefully still has its March release date, but 
sad to say once again movie release dates are kind of up in the air now so but hopefully yeah. things somewhat get stabilized or improved by march so we can get to see that movie because oh boy <laughs> that's going to be a big one and i'm sure once we get that next trailer yeah. it's going to make that wait seem even longer but that is the next big dc movie on the horizon so if i were a betting man i'd oh, yeah. say we'd have we'll have two great dc movies back to back with suicide squad and then the batman <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if like, they're just going to relent and just release it on HBO Max. You know, because w- with with the COVID thing, like you, you, you don't really know how it's going to go. Um, like, like, like with, uh, you know, Top Gun and, mm-hmm. you know, like the mission. Is, isn't there a mission? Oh, no, uh, James Bond. Yeah. The James Bond movie, you know, th- that's been like oh, it's coming out, no, we got to delay it, no, it's coming out again, no, we got to delay it, those two movies, mm-hmm. you know, so, like, uh, I wonder if they're going to relent, and by, like, February or January, they're just going to be like, you know what, let's just release it on, or even December, uh, you know, let's just release it on HBO Max for Christmas or something. I highly doubt it, especially now. I think they just announced kind of like an exclusive movie release window something with with amc where uh their upcoming movies for 2022 warner brothers i'm talking about here is they signed an exclusive deal to have like a 45 window exclusivity to amc theaters so for first run movies so uh, i think with that deal being signed this is still going to be the only year where we're going to see simultaneous releases for hbo max and theatrical and which is kind of a bummer because i really enjoyed this year getting those movies right away and just be able to stream it from from home. I made it no secret that I love doing that, and I was was part of me wished that it would have continued for next year, especially with the Batman. But um, it's been great seeing these movies um, from the comfort of my home theater setup, <laughs> where I could just watch it um, immediately as it goes up and enjoy it as well. So looks like this will be the only year, but I don't know. I think down the line this might become more the norm than we may be expecting where just it might just be a one year thing i think we're eventually going to come to a point where maybe beyond the pandemic where this might be the way studios go about their releases maybe not for every movie but more so than in the past i think we're going to see more stuff be day and day release both on streaming and theatrical things have definitely changed that's for sure so so with that said you know what if I don't know, Star Wars episode 10. No, sorry. It wouldn't be an episode 10. Let's say, I don't know, Star Wars Tokyo Drift. <laughs> right? Just to keep it in, in our three of oh, wow. Fast and Furious movies. Uh, comes out. Uh, let's say, they, you know, they, they had one in the pipeline. And, you know, it comes December time. Would you still watch it on Disney Plus, or would you actually go to a theater? I probably I love the comfort of watching the movies on my home, so I think I probably do Disney yeah. Plus first. But for a Star Wars, go. yeah, because <laughs> I gotta yeah. say I've seen every <laughs> Star Wars movie in the theater, so <laughs> I would eventually get that experience too. <laughs> yeah. Now the question is, Tim. Did you see the episode one in 3D in theaters? Of course I did, Dane. What kind of question is that? Uh, 
I mean, I really didn't. I really didn't care about the 3D, but hey, it's a new, it's a Star Wars movie back in the theaters. Of course, I'm gonna go see it. <laughs> I wish it, episode two and never, an episode three never saw the light of day, which is disappointing. But I, of course, yeah. would have went to see those two. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna do it for our feature topic, which is gonna be, which was the review of the Suicide Squad. So. Um, we both enjoyed it, which is always a nice thing. And I guess our reviews can continue because uh, we're going to be moving on to comics now, which is going to be one of, if not the most anticipated comic I've been looking forward to this year. And that is going to be Batman 1989 issue one. And I guess for a rating scale for this one, how about Suicide Square, number of Suicide Squad characters that we never heard of that we ended up loving in the movie? <laughs> Because that's it would be a yep. lot of them. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one, Tim. See, I finally thought of one without needing your help. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Batman 89. Again, spoilers for those who haven't read this issue yet. But um, like I said, I was really couldn't wait for this. The concept of the Tim Burton Batman universe continuing in the comics was something I thought was brilliant, especially when it's being written by the writer of the script, Sam Hamm. So just... Even that element just adds a little bit more to the continuity when it's being created by those who worked on the original project. Um, so this one right away, it starts off. Um, it's we knew going into it's going to focus on Harvey Dent and Two Face and his him becoming Two Face. And the main focus of this issue has to deal with Harvey Dent. And I really enjoyed that because we're really seeing the Billy D. Williams Harvey Dent in all its glory. It's just everything you imagine more of Billy D. Williams as Harvey Dent. We get in this this first issue. The smoothness, the coolness of Billy D. Williams is all on display here. And right after the bat, it starts with him having a dinner with someone named Barbara, and it makes you think, hmm, is this Barbara Gordon? And that ends up being the case. He's actually in a relationship with Barbara Gordon. And this is just one of the few things that happen in the story where in this universe, things that we're familiar with of the Batman mythos are happening differently here, which is to be expected because it's its own universe, its own timeline. So Familiar story beats and characters are going to be in different situations. So this is one of them with Harvey at, out to dinner with Barbara. He even asks her to, he proposes to her. So um, Barbara Gordon is going to be the love interest for Harvey Dent in this story. But of course it's Gotham. Something goes wrong as they were, as he was proposing to her. As we got these criminals still trying to, still feeling the effects of the Joker in this story because we got these characters dressed up as clowns uh, with Joker jackets on, still kind of trying to, I guess, following the footsteps of the Joker. And there's also some fun Tim Burton Easter eggs throughout here because it's Halloween, so you're going to see or people in Gotham dressed up. You see characters dressed up as um, characters from The Nightmare Before Christmas, from uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice. So just some cool, fun Tim Burton uh, Easter eggs thrown in here. So you get these criminals trying to steal these armored cars full of money. And, of course, this is where I get a first appearance of Batman in this full-blown black suit in all its glory and of course the batmobile makes an appearance here too and i just got to say see even in this comic seeing the batmobile with that awesome black suit i just brought a smile to my face it was just really cool and i can only imagine what's what it's going to be like seeing the batmobile and michael keaton's batman suit in the flash movie once we see that on screen it's going to be so awesome i just can't wait for it because the comic did its job and just uh getting me excited to see those again in these pages so it was great uh, so there was an action sequence here and a little nod to where it looks like Batman, where he gets the giant penny, where he uses it kind of as a shield to see, shield himself from some of the criminals firing these heavy uh, weapons at him. 
then we get a a nice moment with uh, Harvey Dent and showing signs of uh, Two-Face here where he goes into an alley with Barbara, but her purse gets stolen. So he goes after one of the criminals who's dressed up as a clown. And Billy D is able to get the watch or uses his watch as like a, these brass knuckles to take him down. And then he actually grabs one of the one of their guns. And it's, this scares off the criminals. And this is where he starts showing little signs of Two-Face where he just says, kind of like, you know what? I could just decide too, like who lives and dies in this situation. I said, I think I'll toss a coin. Heads you win, or heads you die, tails you walk. And he flips it, but you know, in the panel where you see Barbara looking for him, you see these gunshots go off, and you're just making think, oh man, did he just already fall <laughs> into darkness to become Two Face? But instead, you just see that he shot the guns in the shot the bullets in the air to scare off the criminals. But still, it's showing signs of what Harvey uh, could be capable of. A little bit similar to Harvey in The Dark Knight, kind of threatening one of the Joker's goons, played by Polka Dot Man, <laughs> in, that, in that sequence there. And then we learn, too, that Harvey isn't a fan of Batman. As he sees the Batmobile drive right past him, um, he sees like, there's no room on the streets for law-abiding citizens, as he says, as the Batmobile goes by. And he makes the point to say, you know, the Batmobile drove right past us while we were getting robbed, and he didn't do anything. And so then we get our first appearance of Bruce Wayne, uh, kind of showing some gray here. So I'm not sure how far in the timeline this is after Batman 89, but Bruce is showing some age here. I don't think it's supposed to be that far off, but more gray hair than I was expecting. But Harvey's here to try to convince Bruce to um, go in because he's going to pretty much declare war on Batman to try to bring him down, but also Gordon because He's not happy with how Gordon supports Batman, and he wants Bruce's support and all this. And Bruce tells him he he won't do anything to go against Gordon because he was the officer who was first there when my parents died. And we never knew that before, but that was a cool little wrinkle to throw in uh, into this story and the relationship of Bruce and Gordon. Because as we know, Batman and Gordon's relationship in the Burton movies wasn't the strongest. It was barely anything, really. So glad that this comic is kind of fleshing that out a little bit more. And we get... Our first appearance of Alfred in here. And Dane, this was something I was been hoping for. We get the Michael Goff Alfred with a mustache. Yes, he has a mustache and it's awesome. <laughs> it looks fantastic. Maybe the best surprise of the comic. I'll, I'll, I'm being honest there. <laughs> um, so then we kind of get more. Again, like I said, this issue really focuses on Harvey. So we get a little backstory to uh, where Harvey came from and to the part of Gotham where he grew up. We kind of see an old friend of his who works on cars or as he needs his classic car fixed up. And we just get to see the roots of where Harvey came from, how he is a successful person from this neighborhood, a successful black man who he even says how I got it because his old friend is kind of says um, uh, kind of how people are viewing him and how he says, you know, this is all a look. This is not really who I am, but I got to I got to represent kids in this town need to see a prosperous back black man who's not an athlete. And just kind of showing where a little bit of the reasoning why Harvey's doing what he's doing for Gotham and just showing the origin of how he got his coin too, uh, where the, this old friend, I'm blanking on his name now, I'm sorry, uh, but he gave him his coin and always kind of play this game with Harvey where he says, um, this is a coin I'm going to flip heads. You grow up to be a big man, tells you're nothing but a bum. And obviously it's the famous coin that has two heads and it always lands on heads and Harvey always believed that. That, you know, I'm going to be a big shot. I'm going to be, be a big man. And his old friend even calls him on it. You never even bothered to check the coin to see if it was rigged or if it was a, 
a two-headed coin. And Mari just says, there's no need to. I, I always trusted you, and I still do. So just showing where kind of Harvey got his views and where he came up and just showing uh, why he does what he does for Gotham. So I thought that was a nice moment. Then we get to see where he's calling out Gordon and the Batman. Like I said, he's declaring war on Batman. He tries to flush him out by shining the bat signal to draw him in. And we also get Bullock into the Batman 89 universe, which is fun to see. And he looks like Harvey Bullock you would expect, <laughs> pretty much taken right from the animated series. Then we get this moment as Batman is actually talking to Gordon through the radio chat. And we see our first rendition of Pat Hingle's Gordon again in this comic. And I liked how they tried to make him more of a traditional Gordon where it's a blend of Pat Hingle and Gordon from Batman the Animated Series. He has the the haircut like the animated series, the mustache. He has the brown suit. Um, just a nice blend, I felt, <laughs> of both versions of Gordon. And again, saying more, having more of a relationship between Batman and this version of Gordon was nice to see because we didn't get that a lot or pretty much at all in the movie. So I really enjoyed Aspect. And it was kind of them parting ways because Gordon tells Batman, they're coming after me. I'm probably not going to have a job for that much longer, but kind of showing the respect they had for each other. So on the issue nears its end where Batman sees a mugging. Um, he sees uh, a kid kind of looks like he's stealing some money uh, from this local deli or grocery store. And Batman follows him, follows him to this uh, rundown apartment. And then when Batman goes in, he finds out that the kid... Um, it's just he was just stealing diapers for his kid, for his baby sister, um, how she was all out and he needed it. And Batman was kind of taken by surprise about this and kind of asking him a question, where's his mother? And instead, someone calls out to him and Batman looks out the window and someone with a black hood, a black costume, but yet a black and yellow cape and a yellow mask covering his face attacks Batman. And he just tells Batman, you know, this isn't your house, this isn't your area, next time knock. And he kind of takes Batman for surprise and has him hanging over the fire escape as Batman is trying to make his way up. This masked character just tells the kid Batman was talking to, sorry for the trouble, and hands him some money, obviously showing he's doing some good. And it just, right away, I just knew that this was going to be Batman's 89 version of Robin. Uh, we didn't get a name drop. We didn't see his face. But this is, I think, the first introduction we've had to Robin in this series because this the color of his costume just sets it all up. And showing that he was trying to do some good uh, just makes you think it can't be anyone else. So I'm excited to see um, this relationship and story develop as well as seeing the Michael Keaton Batman uh, join up with Robin. And I'm wondering it's going to I just have the feeling it's going to take more from those story ideas that wasn't used for Batman 80 or for Batman Returns or Dick was kind of working at this car junk shop or something to that degree. He was going to be played by Marlon Wayans. So I have a feeling it's going to be kind of leaning more towards that aspect, which, you know, I'll, I'll be excited to see how it works with this universe. So that's where the issue ends. Um, I really enjoyed it. If there was a knock, I've seen this complaint a little bit that Batman really wasn't the focus on this and it was more on Harvey Dent. And I would agree with that, but I just really like what they're doing uh, with Harvey's story so far here and then. Uh, setting up and seeing these characters again, kind of a little bit more in line with what we expect to see them and how they are in the comics like Gordon. Uh, so all that stuff was great, and I'm just excited to see where it goes next. So I thought it was a solid first issue, and so I'm going to give it four out of five Suicide Squad characters we never heard of but end up loving in the latest movie. So solid starts to the series. I can't wait for more. It's far and, too little characters, Tim. That's true. Even if I gave it a five, it'd still be not enough of characters we loved in that movie. 
But with that, that's going to do it for this episode. So as always, I'll go ahead and throw it to you, Dane, for the outro. All right, just go over to thebatmanuniverse.net, facebook.com, slash batmanuniverse, twitter handles at batmanuniverse, Tim's twitter handles at timg311, my twitter handles at dancesbanana, uh, the show center handles at Batman's Podcast. Uh, rate and review some iTunes. You can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. So with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, Tim. We love each and every one of you with all of our rejected Suicide Squad member hearts, even with our heads exploding. <laughs> That's a good one, Tim. Our heads may be gone, but our hearts are still pumping with love for all our listeners. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody. Yeah, bro, it's Friday.